Everybody have a good Christmas? Lots of kids saying yes. That's good. Anybody get any good gifts? I know you're happy. What was the best gift you got? A bike. A bike? All right. A phone? A scooter? This thing went away. A computer? You didn't get a computer. You don't know what to do with that computer. I think the best gift I got was not having to put the trampoline together by myself. Larry and Doug came over Christmas Eve morning, and we knocked it out in a little less than two hours, so I'm thankful for family. This thing's kind of going in and out, huh? That's okay. Oh, you know, gifts are a good thing, and we've, we've had a lot of, a whole week full of gifts, I'm sure. And so today, and it's really uh, appropriate with uh, Sean and Justine being baptized, and, and I'd even think after some of the songs that we've sung to be talking about the gift of eternal life today. So, uh, yeah, Marty, can you turn this down just a little bit? Y'all can hear me, right? Um, as I started talking about, as I started thinking about this sermon and saying the words, the gift of eternal life, I'm a Southern Baptist kid. My dad's a pastor. I've grown up my whole life in church. And, you know, if you're a church person, you can say those words, the gift of eternal life. It, like, just rolls off the tongue, right? It's, like, so familiar. The gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. Come. Receive the gift of eternal life, right? And, it, and we know that it's a gift, but it's one of those things that we say so often that it's, uh, you know, it kind of goes without saying. And the problem with things that go without saying is we don't say them, and then we kind of forget sometimes, oh, yeah, that, that's an important thing. And so today we're going to just pause and really take a few minutes to gaze into the wonderful uh, gift that is eternal life, God's grace to us. Uh, we don't ever want to forget. So in the Bible, in Ephesians 2, if you want to turn with me, I'll be in Ephesians 2 the whole time. Verse 8 and 9 is a very familiar passage to, to many of us, and it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Eternal life is not something you can earn or buy, like we do with Christmas gifts. It's not something you can steal or borrow. You can't inherit from your parents, okay? You can't win it in a big contest. It's a gift. It's a free gift, and it's a free gift from God. And the only way that you will ever have eternal life is if you receive it from God as a free gift. Okay, you with me? Uh, so before we, we go too much further, uh, let, let me, let's pray and ask God to be, uh, His Spirit would be really involved with us this morning as we look into His Word. Father, uh, I'm really thankful for your Bible, so that way I don't have to get up here and make a lot of stuff up on my own. Your word is sufficient for us, and I pray this morning that um, your spirit would speak to our hearts, that we would look and uh, be excited about the gift of eternal life that you've given us. And if we've yet not received it for whatever reason, that you would prick our hearts, and that we would today might be a day that someone might receive the free gift of eternal life. We thank you, Father. Amen. The, the key word in this passage, this main passage that we're looking at, of course, is the word grace. Okay, let's look at it again. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace. Um, what is the word grace? We use this word all the time. You know, we say grace before the meal, right? Ainsley, she likes to dance. So we go to this, uh, you know, recital every year, and all these people, they dance. And some of the older ones, they look really great. And we say, oh, that dancer has grace. And uh, I remember in college, in my music theory classes, there was something called a grace note. But, uh, and you know, you don't worry about paying your insurance premium on time because you know there's a grace period. Thankful for the grace period. So, so what then is this grace that this passage is talking about, this grace that we've been saved by, what is that talking about? And today I want to say that grace is unmerited favor from God. Grace is something that we get from God without meriting it, without deserving it, okay? And we all nod our heads at this, but as the more I've prepared for this this week, the more I realize that sometimes I don't really believe that. But but it's not something that we deserved. Um, Someone came up with an acrostic one time I heard in a sermon, I'm sure 30 years ago, that said, to help you remember grace was God's riches at Christ's expense. Anybody ever heard that before? Uh, For me, it's always been easier to understand grace by comparing it to mercy. You know the word mercy, okay? So mercy, what's mercy? You remember playing the game when you were a kid, you'd grab someone's hand? Ralph, I bet you were good at that game. I'm looking at you right now. You'd grab their hand, right, and you'd squeeze it and squeeze it until someone said mercy and gave up. Mercy, don't kill me. Mercy, don't break my hand, right? So mercy. So what is mercy? Mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Are you with me? So, mercy is God not giving us eternal punishment. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. God giving us eternal life. Okay, can we at least agree on that for this hour? Okay, so, in order to receive either mercy or grace, and this is the really important part, in order to receive mercy or grace, you have to come to a point where you understand you don't deserve it. I thought that was really great when, when you were reminding us that Sean said, how could God forgive me? He, it was a feeling of not deserving, right? Okay. This is a big deal because in order to receive mercy, we have to believe that we deserve hell. That's tough to say from up here, because especially in a day and time where kind of everyone tells us, oh, you're good enough, you deserve this, do that, you deserve it, you've worked hard, you know, you are good. We read books about teach us how to be even better ourselves, right? And, and if we're going to receive, truly receive God's mercy, we have to believe that what we deserve is eternal punishment. And if we're going to receive grace, we have to truly believe that we don't deserve it, no matter how good a person that you are, no matter how cool you are, how talented you are, no matter how much money you have. If you're going to receive God's grace, you truly have to believe you don't deserve it. So before we get to uh, verses 8 and 9 where we start, we need to back up to the beginning of this chapter and figure out where we stand in relation to God. Okay? Do we really need God's mercy? Do we really need His grace? Look at verse 1, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, it says that we were dead. Verse 1 says that we were dead. Um, human beings, every one of us, being sons and daughters of Adam, okay, the first man, we are born and we come into this world, no matter where we come from, no matter who our parents are, we come into this world spiritually dead. Okay? There's no way that on our own we can have this inclination or a response to God on our own. We don't think that way when we're first born. We're spiritually dead. There's no way, we have no ability to just please God. We don't wake up one morning and go, you know what, I think I'm just going to start living to please God. We don't do that on our own. We're not good enough, the Bible says. The Bible says that we were dead, spiritually dead. Now, Paul is writing these words to members of a church in Ephesus, right? So just like us in here, you and me, we're in a church, and he's saying to them, I know you. You know, I know the way you used to live. I know what your life was like. Sin was the atmosphere of your life. That's where you lived. All those things, that's what you did. That is the normal human life, okay? And, uh, and Paul even includes himself in that. In verse 3, he says, We all once lived in the passions. He, even Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul, he says, I was there too. Every one of us. He's not excluding anyone and saying, Oh, except for you, you always had it. You were always good. You always had grace. He doesn't say that. Um, he also doesn't say, in another passage, Paul talks about some very specific sins. And after that, he says, in these some of you once lived in. But he doesn't say that here. He's not talking about specific sins. He's talking about sin in general. And he says, every single one of us. Sometimes sin manifests itself differently in this sin or in this sin. But those sins are really just, you know, symptoms of the underlying disease in our life that is sin that is just eating away at our soul. Are you with me? And he says every single one of us are involved in it. He says, thankfully, that you were like that because he's talking to a group of Christians, okay? If he were, had been talking to not yet Christians, he would have said, this is how you are. You choose Satan. You don't choose God. You follow after the world, not after what God's desires are. You, you live for your own passions and desires your own cravings, you don't do this. That's what he would have said to a group of non-Christians because that's where we all were before we received the mercy and grace from God. And because that's the way we are, Paul says, just like everyone else by our very nature, in verse 3 it says we're objects of wrath. Now that sounds really scary. What does that mean, objects of wrath? It means that we are deserving of God's wrath. Okay? God's wrath. It means if God were like hovering around the earth looking for someone to pour his wrath upon, as soon as he came upon us, he would have to look no further. That was it. Okay? Yes, that's an object of wrath. We are deserving of that wrath. That's what he's talking about. So the conclusion we have to draw from these first three verses is yes, we need God's mercy. We need his grace because of our relation to God and where we are. We are dead spiritually dead the day we're born we are dead so let's see the only hope we have after reading those first three verses 
is if God will, for some reason, choose to have mercy on us. Right? Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The first word of that verse, but, shows that Paul is fixing to contrast everything he just said about who we were with who we could be. You know, I can just imagine, you know, someone who's on death row and they're fixing to read, they read all the things that he's done wrong and said, because you've done this, this, and this, today we're going to kill you. The only word in the entire English language that that guy wants to hear at that moment is what? But. I mean, that's what he just did. He just listed all the things that we are alive in, I mean, that we're dead in, all of our sin, all the selfishness, all, the, all these things. And he says, you're dead, dead, dead. And because of that, you're an object of wrath. And then in verse 4, he says, but God, rich in mercy, and he pours out his love on us. God's mercy on his helpless enemies flows from his own loving heart not from anything that we've ever done to deserve it have you ever heard the phrase God helps those who help themselves have you ever heard that it's not from the Bible okay in case you've been telling people that it's not okay (laughs) it's not as Paul shows us in this last section that we read actually the exact opposite is the truth God helps the helpless He even helps those who are his enemies who have transgressed his holy law, right? He helps the helpless. He helps those who have looked him in the face and turned and chosen to follow Satan instead. And he still pours out his love on us. Isn't that amazing? So it's God's mercy that turns away his wrath from us, not giving us what we deserve, which is eternal punishment or hell. It frees us. To suffer from suffering that eternal punishment. But God's grace goes even further than that. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. So not only does he save us from wrath, but what does he do for us? And raised us up with him. Verse 6. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Not only does God forgive our sins, which is the mercy, He gives us eternal life, which is the grace. Are you with me? I like this. I read this from the notes in my uh, in my study Bible. It said, "Why did God lavish such love upon His people?" So that they will marvel for all eternity over the incredible kindness and love of God. It will take all of eternity to fathom God's love. And those who are saved will never even plumb the depths of it. It says that he gives us eternal life. So that in the coming ages, in verse 7, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us. In Christ Jesus. So we see... He gives us mercy, gift, not getting eternal punishment. He gives us grace, free gift, eternal life with him in heaven. 
So now we can read those first two verses with a little bit better understanding of what Paul was saying. Let's look at those again. Verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In verse 8 there, uh, it uses the word this. Marty, go back to verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is talking about the whole process of salvation by grace through faith. Okay, sometimes I think we think that Grace is the part that God does, and faith is our part. Even faith is a gift from God. We don't just muster up enough courage to trust Him. He gives that too. So this proves to us that the whole process of salvation by grace through faith is nothing that we've done by ourselves, but only a free gift from Him. Are you with me? Not any part of it is something that we do on ourselves. Only a gift. Eternal life is a gift, a free gift, a free gift of God. What a marvelous gift it is. It makes me wonder why so many people decide not to line up to get this free gift. Right? What keeps people from receiving the gift? I think there's two things. The first thing is that they can't believe it's really a gift. There must be something that I have to do to get it, Right? A lot of times we think this way. But the Bible tells us there's nothing that we can do to add to what Christ has already completely done and finished. He paid the full debt of our sin on the cross, and all we have to do is believe in Him as Savior and Lord, as He will forgive us of our sins and give us the free gift of eternal life. That's it. You don't have to get your life straightened out first, you know, so that you can present yourself as this really great, clean person before him if you're waiting on that you're waiting on something that will never happen this room is full of christians who have received the gift of eternal life and still don't look very clean on the inside right so we don't wait on those things we just come to him as we are we realize that we need it and then he gives it are you with me the other reason that that some people don't turn away from their sins and toward, turn toward Jesus and the free gift of eternal life is that they think they already have it. They think they were born with it or somehow they got a hold of it at a really early age. They think that they must have it because their parents had it or because they grew up going to church or because they go to church now or because they teach a Bible study or because they sing in the praise team or because they give their money to the church they think they must have salvation right if they don't have eternal life they think well why would I look so much like a Christian or why would I act so much like a Christian ought to act if I didn't have it and they think that the minor sins in their life they wouldn't really keep them from having eternal life with God they think that they've done more good than bad, right? And they'll say, well, I'm not perfect, but in their heart what they really mean is, I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better than most of the other people I know, right? And what's keeping them from eternal life is a simple fact that they don't think they really need God's mercy, that he ought to be glad to have them on the team because they're so good. They don't think they really need God's grace 
because they probably assume they already have it. But the fact is there has to come a time in every single individual person's life where you realize you need his mercy, you don't deserve his grace, and that you are face down in your sin and you say, I'm not, I'm not clean, I need to be cleaned. And then you ask Jesus to give you that gift of eternal life. And then it happens. And it's secure. It lasts forever. There's no losing it or any of that kind of stuff. You get it. The Holy Spirit secures your faith. And you It's an awesome gift. There's an old author named Philip Yancey. And he suggested the church should learn about grace from people that have been to Alcoholics Anonymous. You've, you've probably, if you've never been in Alcoholics Anonymous, you've probably seen a movie or something. Or you have know a friend where when they make a comment at their group, they stand up and they say, Hey, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. That's what they do. It's, it's, a, it's a comment of, you know, I, I don't have it together. It's a comment of, of humbling myself, right? Uh, a, a, a statement of failure, a statement of helplessness to let everyone know I'm reminding myself that that's really who I am. I wonder if before we make comments on Sunday morning gatherings or on our small group, we should just stand up and say, Hey, my name is Brian, and I'm a sinner. And that would remind us, you know, our, of our state, of where we are. Instead of thinking sometimes, especially when we've been in the church for so long, hey, I am pretty much got it figured out. I mean, Sid gave me the mic, and I am wearing my sports jacket today. <laughs> so, you know, everything is really, really good. But it would help us to remember that it's by grace we've been saved. Through faith, it was also a gift, and nothing that we've done on our own. Eternal life, it's, it's not something that you can earn. It's not something you can buy, steal, borrow, inherit from your parents, or win in a big contest. It's a free gift, a free gift from God. And the only way you have it is if you a gift from God. Is that what you have? Is the salvation that you talk about, that you think that you have, was it a free gift from God? Or, or do you have it and assume that you have it because of whatever reason? Because of who you are, who your parents were, how you act, or what you do on Sunday mornings? Because i got to tell you, if the salvation you have isn't the free gift from God, the grace, the mercy, the whole process, then what you have isn't salvation at all. I don't really know what it is. But I believe in my heart that if you listen very closely to God this morning and you hear him saying to you, you need my mercy, you need my grace, then all you have to do is look back to him and say, okay, I need your mercy, I need your grace. Jesus poured out on me today because I want to receive it. I want to receive it as a gift from you, as a free gift. Nothing that I have to pay or could ever pay, but I will receive your gift. And I believe today he would save you and that you would have eternal life from this point forward. I don't really preach very long sermons, but this sermon today is, is pretty straightforward. I believe that there is that we need God's mercy because of our state and who we are, our sinfulness, and I believe we need His grace because there's ain't no way that we can buy our way into heaven or do good enough to get there. 
And so, uh, you know, I don't know what today, but maybe I thought I would just slide over here and do what I'm better at and, and play a song. And, and I believe that if you're one of those people that you hear God whispering to you today, you need my mercy, you need my grace, that Sid will be up here uh, and that when we play and sing a song, that you would come down. That's kind of a normal churchy kind of thing to do. We don't always do it here, but I think that it's an it's a appropriate response and that you would come and ask Jesus for his grace and his mercy this morning and receive that gift of eternal life. Let's pray.